This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled, Being a Good Friend, and it comes from 1 Samuel 20, 1-42. But before we start our lesson today, we're talking could use your support. Now playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song was ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648 and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone or mail us your gift to Word Talk Inc. P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now your gift to Word Talk Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Again, that's radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Well, today we pick back up in the book of 1 Samuel. It's been several weeks, so let me do a quick review and then we'll get started. Now, if you go back to a couple lessons back, we looked at how Saul became jealous and how he tried to actually kill David. If you remember, David has just killed Goliath. And what happens, he's riding back in the parade with Jonathan and with King Saul. And the women come out and they start singing the song. They say, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousand. And this makes King Saul very angry. And he's really like, what's up with this? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next thing you know, he'll be coming after my kingship. And so he has a jealous eye on David. The next day we find David in his humble position. He's just killed Goliath, but he's back in the palace playing the music and a troublesome spirit comes over King Saul. And what does he do? He hurls the spear at David trying to pin him to the wall, but he escapes. The Bible tells he's, he does this twice before he leaves. His attempt to kill David fails. So what does he do? He says, well, I'm going to let you marry my daughter like I promised you for killing Goliath. Except David is humble and says, I don't have the bride price to pay. So Saul tells him, if you will go out and get the foreskins of a hundred men, of a hundred Philistines, then I'll let that be the bride price. Well, he does more than that. He actually takes his men with him. They go out and he gets the foreskin or he kills over 200 men and he brings that back. Now, the whole plan was Saul's like, I won't have the blood on my hands. I'll let the Philistines kill him in battle. But David is protected by God and he successfully brings back those 200 foreskins. It ends in chapter 18 saying that every time that David went out, he was more successful than all the other officers of King Saul. And then we saw in chapter 19 that Saul just comes right out and tells Jonathan and all the men and the sergeants that they need to kill David. But Jonathan tells him, whoa, stop. Why would you kill an innocent man? Everything he's done is for your own good. Why would you kill him? 
And so King Saul thinks about it for a minute and says, You're right, Jonathan. And he vowed to him that as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. So more war breaks out with the Philistines. David goes out there. He's successful. He comes back the next day. And guess what? He's again playing the harp right there for King Saul in the court. King Saul has that troublesome spirit come over him a third time. And what does he do? He hurls the spear again at him and he tries to pin him to the wall. But this time David doesn't hang around. He leaves. And when he gets to his house, his wife, Michal, tells him that I know my father and he's trying to kill you. You better get out tonight. And so that's what happened. He sneaks out a window while King Saul has men watching the house. Well, anyhow, they come in. They think he's in bed because Michal tells him that he's sick. And they tricked those men. They tricked King Saul. King Saul even tells his daughter, why have you done this to me? So when David slipped out the window, guess where he went? He went to Ramah to see Samuel, probably the only person he felt that he could trust in now. And so at Ramah, King Saul finds out that he's there and he sends three company of men. And each time they try to go kill David, they wind up falling and prophesying. Finally, King Saul says, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. So he goes to Ramah and guess what happens? Yep, you guessed that right. King Saul, the spirit of the Lord comes over him. He starts prophesying. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that he strips naked and when he gets in front of Samuel, he lays there all day and all night naked. So again, King Saul has tried to take David and kill David, but God has protected him. God had a bigger plan for David. The spirit of the Lord has left King Saul. David has been anointed. And so Saul has this troublesome spirit. So we're going to pick up right here. That takes us back to where we left off. We'll start in chapter 20. Turn with me to chapter 20. We'll start with verse 1. And I'll be reading out the ESV. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? Where is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why would my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, and he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. And then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. And David says to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is a new moon, and I should not fail to sit at the table with the king. But let me go, that I might hide myself in the field till the third day of that evening. And if your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked to leave, to run to Bethlehem for a city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. And if he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he's angry, then you know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into this covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you that if I knew that it was determined by my father to harm you should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you? Roughly. 
And Jonathan said to David, come, let's go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. We're going to stop right there for now. Today, our lesson really focuses on how to be a good friend. And we see right here this friendship between Jonathan and with David. If you go all the way back to chapter 18, you see the first covenant that is made between Jonathan and David about that friendship and their kindred spirit. But today, as we go through this lesson, you're going to see the true richness of their friendship, how they put a plan together and how they take care of one another. Some would tell you that they are best friends. I remember as my kids were growing up, one of the things that folks would put in their text to one another is BFF, best friends forever. I think if the Bible was written today about this story, it would have BFF on it because they were best friends forever. Even though they had an immediate attraction, they both had the same kindred spirit. Friendship takes a commitment from one another. It takes trust from one another. And so what we're going to see today is some of the traits that you see in a true friendship. And how can you be a good Christian friend to those that are around you? And the first thing I want you to see, and we saw it right here in these first 11 verses, is that friends are available, that you're available. Part of that commitment as a friend is that you're available. Look back at verses 1 through 4. I'm going to summarize it. What happens here is David is running again. He's running for his life because Saul is now with Samuel. Now, again, the Lord has come over him. And so David is able to escape and he runs back. He flees back to Jonathan and he says, why is your father trying to kill me? What have I done wrong? I want you to see that Jonathan tells him, I'm here for you. But my father's not trying to kill you. Now, Jonathan doesn't have the whole story. Saul is truly trying to kill him. But again, he says, I'm available. And he listens to him. Now, David asked why. We love to ask that question. Why, why, why? Except most of the time we don't ask it to a friend. We ask it to God. We say, God, why are you doing this to me? Why am I going through this? Let me just tell you that the Lord will send you through storms in life so that he can conform you. He can allow you to understand and get the experience of going through that storm. David doesn't understand why he's going through what he's going through, but this is going to make him a better king as he goes forward. He's going to learn to read people better because of what King Saul puts him through. Now, it's not what David would have chosen, but God has a purpose and a plan. And sometimes even when we're in God's will, we still have to go through that storm. And David is going through a storm. He is going to be running for his life until Saul and Jonathan die several chapters down the road. And what we see is that a friendship is born out of adversity. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 17, 17 says that. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born out of adversity. But as Jonathan listens to David, he asks him, what can I do? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. That's what Jonathan tells him. And that's what a friend does. They're available, they listen, and they honor the commitment. But not only is Jonathan available and says, what can I do to help you? But he also shows kindness. And we can learn from that as well. See, David tells him what he needs him to do when we look at verses roughly 5 through 8, where David says, look, tomorrow's a festival. And I'm supposed to sit down and eat with you and the king like we normally do. But I'm going to go hide out for the next couple of days. 
And when your fathers ask about me, where am I? You tell him that I had to run to Bethlehem. Tell him that I had to go to a sacrifice. I had family business to take care of. And so watch how he responds. If he responds in anger and he's upset, then that means he really wanted to do harm. He planned on killing me at dinner. But if he doesn't care, then I, I just read him all wrong. I, I misunderstood. And you were absolutely right, Jonathan. See, David tells Jonathan everything he needs to know, and he asks Jonathan to show kindness to him. Now notice, David based his request for kindness on the covenant of the friendship that Jonathan has already made with him before the Lord. In Job 6.14, it says, He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Kindness is just another basic commitment of friendship that we see right here in this chapter. And part of being a good friend is being kind to those around you. Now, you may have noticed the problem of lying in this passage, and some people point that out. And we saw this in the previous lesson when Michael lied to save David's life. Here, David urges Jonathan to lie to Saul. And we said in the last lesson that even though lying is wrong, and it is a sin, and you need to ask for forgiveness of it, here it is being done for the greater good. And even though there is good motive behind the lying that Jonathan is told to tell his father, that still doesn't make it right. As a matter of fact, it almost makes it ironic because the next thing I want you to see is the truthfulness that is part of that commitment to being a good friend. We've looked at the availability. We've looked at the kindness. And now I want to look at the truthfulness, even though David asked him to lie. When you start looking at verses 9 through 11, you see that David needs Jonathan to be truthful. He says in verse 10, who's going to tell me if your father answers you harshly? And then John says, come with me and let's go out to the field. And we're going to look further beyond that and we'll see the plan that he has. But David has to trust him as friend and that he will be honest and he'll give him the right answer, the honest answer of what his father says when he doesn't show up for dinner. And we find out that Jonathan commits to being truthful with David about his father Saul. Even if it's bad news, he's going to tell him. He has an idea of how he's going to tell him if it's bad news. He's thinking in his mind, no, this can't be it. My dad promised me just the other day that he wasn't going to kill you, that he understood. But either way, Jonathan agrees to be truthful to David and let him know the answer. Proverbs 27 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What Proverbs is telling us is that it is truthfulness that friends need. We need the honest truth. If we're going to have that true commitment, if we're going to be able to rely on that person, then they need to be truthful with us. When things don't look right, they need to tell us the truth. When things aren't very flattering that we're doing, they need to tell us the truth. See, friends tell each other the truth, even when the truth may hurt. Even when it's something they don't want to hear. Friends tell each other the truth, even when the truth hurts. And so what we see is David trusts Jonathan to tell him the truth. But he still wants to know the plan. Who's going to tell him the truth? How's he going to get the answer? How's Jonathan going to tell him? And Jonathan says, come, let's go out into the field and I'll show you. And this really leads us to the next part of friendship, and that's loyalty. If you're going to be a good friend, you're loyal to the other person. So we see in verses 12 through 15, Jonathan tells David that, 
look, when we meet for dinner, I will find out. And then I'll send somebody out. They'll come out to the field where I'm going to show you to hide. He even goes as far to say in verse 13, if my father's inclined to harm you, then let the Lord deal with me even more severely. If I don't let you know and send some way to let you know to get away safely. And then he even goes as far to tell David to show him love, show him kindness, just as the Lord has shown kindness to his father by allowing him to become king and be a successful king in the eyes of the people. He says, show me kindness as long as I live and my family live that I may not be killed. And don't cut us off from your your family or your kindness. Even if the Lord cuts off all your enemies from you, David, don't let it cut off my house. I want to be your friend forever. I want us to be friends forever. I want us to be BFFs is what he's saying. And then verse 16, Jonathan makes a covenant again with David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemy. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So Jonathan shows his loyalty by saying that I'm going to get the word to you. And let's talk more about that because we're about to get into the plan and how he keeps his commitment. But I want to finish up with the fifth and final trait. See, friends are committed. They're available. They're kind. They're truthful. They're loyal. And guess what? They love others as they love themselves. And that's exactly what Jonathan shows David. He says, I'm going to show you that I love you as much as I love myself. Even Jesus told us in Matthew that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And then we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. If you want to be a good friend, you have to love your neighbor as yourself. You have to love others like you love yourself. So Jonathan acts on all this, and so does David. And we see that as we look at verses 18, really, through the rest of the chapter. See, we see that Jonathan says to David, tomorrow is that festival. Now, you'll be missed because your seat will be empty. And then the day after tomorrow, again, I'll come and let you know what happens if trouble began. And then he says, here's how I'll do it. I'm going to go out with my arm bear and I'm going to shoot three arrows like I'm shooting at a target. And then I'm going to send my boy after it. And I'm going to tell him to go find those arrows. Then I'm going to tell him, look to the side of you and then bring them back to me. Come here. And when you hear that word, come here, you know that there's no harm. But if I tell him that you need to go further, it's beyond you. You must go. Then that's the key word you need to hear because the Lord has sent you away. You must go. And then he seals it by saying, remember the covenant that you and I've made, that the Lord is a witness between you and me, and I will be honest and truthful. I'll be loyal. I'll treat you like I would want to be treated. I'll be a true friend to you. See, Jonathan watches out for David by putting his plan into action and understanding how he can signal David based on Saul's reaction. And so we see that David stays in the field while the new moon festival is going on. And as they sat down that first night to eat, they sat in their normal places and David's seat was empty. Jonathan is there and Abner's there, but there's no David. But Saul doesn't say anything. But the next night of the festival comes around and again, you have Jonathan, you have Abner and no David. This time Saul does say something. Saul asks, where is David? Why is his place empty? And Jonathan does exactly as he said he would. 
He says, David asked me if he could have permission to go to Bethlehem. I said, go. He said, I need to go because my family observes a sacrifice this time of year, every year, and I need to go. And if I have favor, let me go. And so I let him go. And so then we see Saul's response. Saul's flare angers up and he says, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. I actually heard one pastor preach on this one time. He said, I wonder what the message Bible says right here. I won't really distract us on that. Just understand that Saul is very upset and he's trying to make Jonathan understand that Jonathan has given away the kingdom. He's no longer going to be heir to the throne if David is king. And a matter of fact, in verse 31, he says, as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither your kingdom will be established. Now bring him to me. He must die. Why should he be put to death is what Jonathan responds with. Jonathan takes up for him. Remember the traits of a good friend? Are you becoming a good friend? We see here that Jonathan's loyal. He's been truthful to David. Now he's not truthful to his father, but he's kind to David. As a matter of fact, he's loyal in that he makes a stand. He treats him the way he would want to be treated. He loves him as he loves himself. And he says, why do you want to kill him? He's done nothing wrong. And Saul tells him it's because you're supposed to be the next king, not him. You're supposed to be the next king. But Jonathan refuses to take the bait. He continues to speak up for him. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? And these are the same questions that David had just asked Jonathan earlier. At the beginning of this chapter, what have I done? Now, Jonathan wants to understand what has he done? And what we find is he takes that spear. It makes him so mad that he hurls it even at his own son. Saul is so angry at Jonathan speaking up for David that he throws the spear at his own son. I can't believe it. I can't imagine trying to kill my own son. I can't understand that anger. But that's what the Bible tells us. Jonathan gets up from the table and he's so upset that he doesn't even eat. But notice that He's not upset about his father trying to kill him in the moment of this anger. He's grieved at his father's treatment of David. He cares more about Saul's mistreatment of David than the fact that his own father just tried to kill him. When I think about this, it makes me think of 1 Peter 4, 8 that says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Friendship involves a heartfelt love, a deep affection for each other, a true kinship that's there. True friendship involves making commitment to each other and then acting on those commitments, watching out for each other by speaking up for each other and truly caring for each other. And then this chapter ends by Jonathan following through on his promise. The next morning he gets up and he goes out to the field with his arm bearer with this small boy that's with him and he shoots three arrows out into the field and as the boy ran where he shot the arrows he yelled to him it's beyond isn't that arrow beyond you and then he shouts hurry go quickly don't stop continue to go and so that is the signal to David that he's in danger that he needs to leave that Saul truly wants to kill him you know, as I read and studied this chapter, I, I got to this point and I, I tried to imagine what David was going through. As he waited a couple of days out in the field waiting for Jonathan, you got to wonder, is he saying, is Jonathan not going to show? If Jonathan does show, is he going to turn me in? I mean, what kind of trust did David have in Jonathan? 
I mean, what if Jonathan had decided that he wasn't going to stand up? What if Jonathan had given in to his father? There's so much that had to be going through David's mind at this time. But we see that Jonathan keeps his promise. He's true friend. And he shoots the arrow out and he signals to David. And I want to read the final two verses to you because I paraphrased most of this chapter because there's no way I could have read 42 verses. But in verse 41, And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times and then kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both for us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. I'm out of time, so I'm going to close with these final two verses, saying that Jonathan and David met in the field. David bows down before Jonathan three times and he expresses his respect and his honor for his friendship. Then they kiss one another, probably not the way you're thinking of more. Back in those days, they kiss each other on the cheek. You still see that over in the European countries. But they kiss each other and then they weep because they know that they're about to be torn apart. And that's just a sign of their deep love and affection and the friendship that they have. They having to say goodbye. Think about a time you've had to say goodbye to somebody and you brought tears to your eyes. But they pledged their friendship forever, their BFF. But David had to leave. It wasn't safe for him anymore. He was on the run and he would never forget Jonathan and his covenant and his friendship with him. And we're going to point that out as we go through this. In fact, long after Jonathan dies, David becomes king and David will remember his covenant with Jonathan and look after Jonathan's own family. It hurts to say goodbye to a friend, but that doesn't mean that the friendship has to end. You can still be there for each other just in a different way. And that's what we're going to see right here as we study the rest of this book. This chapter is a beautiful chapter, and it's about a friendship between Jonathan and David. We learn so much about this friendship, and we see this friendship in action. But you're probably asking, Tim, how does this apply to me? Well, first of all, we can take our friendship one step further in the terms of Jesus. We have a friendship with him. doesn't matter how many friendships you have on, here on earth. Jesus should be your very best friend. Jesus said in Matthew that surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is kind. We read in Titus, but but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. You know, Jesus was truthful. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, what? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was loyal. In Hebrews 13, 5, he says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. But just like we saw here, there's a second flip side to friendship, and that's we have to be friendly back. Matter of fact, Jesus told us in the book of John, John 15, 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, is what he says. Although you can never be as good a friend as Jesus is to us, We can still have a friendship relationship with Jesus. And if we do, we love him like we love ourselves. We give up ourselves for him. We're truthful with him. We admit to him. We tell him the truth. We're loyal. We're faithful. Everything we've talked about, you can have that relationship with Jesus today. 
My question for you, are you committed to Jesus? Are you loyal to Jesus? Are you truthful to him? The Bible has shown us time and time again how Jesus is faithful and honors every commitment to us. Are you going to honor your commitment to him? Are you going to be faithful to him? And if there's an area in your life where you've not been, lay it at his feet today. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for our time together. Lord, we thank you for this book. And Lord, the truths that we can learn from this book. Lord, we thank you about David. And we don't understand like he didn't understand why we go through storms sometimes. But you are smoothing us out. You are preparing us for what we're going to be when we get to that point. You see the bigger picture. We don't understand sometimes. We have to go through the storms. Lord, I pray right now for the one going through a storm, Lord, that you will just help guide them. Lord, that you'll help part the sea. Lord, that you'll help them on that path and you'll take care of them along that path. Lord, they'll put their faith in you. Lord, let us be a true friend to you. Lord, let us be truthful. Let us be honest. Let us be loyal. Let us be available. Let us spend time with you. And Lord, if there's one listening today that's fallen short in some of these areas, Lord, I pray today they will lay it at your feet. Lord, they'll ask you for forgiveness. Lord, that they'll renew their commitment with you. Lord, that they want a true friendship relationship with you. And Lord, maybe there's one that has no relationship with you today listening. Lord, I pray today would be the day. Lord, they would ask you to be Lord of their life. They would confess with their mouth they're a sinner. Lord, they would believe on the finished work on the cross that you did, how you died on the cross for them, how you took every sin and nailed it to the cross. But not only that, you overcame death. It's more than just dying on the cross and being the perfect sacrifice, but you overcame death and gave us a blessed hope to look forward to of a life that will live forever and our soul. Lord, right now, that they would confess you before men, and they will chase after you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Give you all the honor and glory. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.